you would please turn your Bible to Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs chapter 11. We're just going to read a couple of verses and, and we will just touch base with this verse and then we'll, we'll get into our topic of godliness. And that's going to be select scriptures. You'll see that. Chapter 11, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 5 says, The righteousness of the blameless will smooth his way, but the wicked will fall by his own wickedness. The righteousness of the upright will deliver them, but the treacherous will be caught by their own greed or lust. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for the joy of fellowshipping together. What a a good time we've already had together today. And and we just uh, pray that you would be honored and glorified by just delivery of your word. And Lord, as we think through this concept, this idea of godliness, may we think biblically about it. May we think properly, not, not allow our own ideas, man's ideas, tradition come into play, but help us to understand biblically what godliness is. And then, Lord, may we do it. May, I, may we apply it to our lives. May we work these things out in our lives so that we honor and glorify you. Lord, that's the desire of our heart. I do pray that you bless our time in your word. Give clarity, give understanding as your own, only your Holy Spirit can do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want you to note basically just one thing from this passage before we move on. And we've been discussing godliness and righteousness. And what you see in this passage is that righteousness becomes an an entity in and of itself. It becomes a thing, its own identity. And what we would call that is a lifestyle. It's a righteous lifestyle. It's a consistent habit of life. It's the way we live life, basically. And it's called righteousness or godliness. And that's been our topic. And we've been seeing in the past few weeks that godliness is a condition. It has to start with a condition as a condition of the heart. And it's a heart that loves God and loves others. That's where it has to start. And this condition then is converted or it's translated into a direction of life. Okay? A direction of life. And that life then is a life of faith. It's it's faith in God and God's word, God's principles. And it's a life of faithfulness. It's just you continue on. You keep doing the same thing just faithfully. And that then becomes a, a lifestyle. It becomes righteousness. So life of righteousness, a godly lifestyle. And that lifestyle then is called, like I said, righteousness or godliness. And last week we looked, there's another element in Proverbs chapter 4 verse 18, that righteousness is like a sunrise as well. And sun comes up slowly, the sun gets higher in the sky and things become brighter and brighter as the sun gets gets high. And that's the way it is in the believer's life. It starts out slow and it begins to rise and we begin to be clearer in our understanding and things get brighter and brighter and our path becomes more evident and clearer and fewer stumbles in our path. That's the idea. That's a righteous lifestyle. Now, the problem is that sometimes there's a disconnect between the heart 
and the lifestyle. And that becomes the problem. And you know this. You've seen this before. You see it in the idea of easy believism. This idea of just, well, all you have to do is believe in Christ and, and everything's fine. It's just Christianity is a belief system. You don't really have to commit to Christ. You don't really have to trust actually in Christ. No, you just believe it and then it's, it's good. That's not enacting the heart at all. That's just faith without works. And James addressed that, right? He said that kind of faith, you claim to have that faith, but that kind of faith is dead faith. That doesn't work, doesn't save anybody. You see there, my point is, is that there's a disconnect between what we know and the heart. What we know is this theology, we've got our theology out here, but then the heart is not engaged and it's just this easy belief that it's not really Christianity at all. Another time that we've seen this is legalism. This is more in the past. But legalism, it raises its ugly head every once in a while. And this fundamentalist, hyper-extreme standards that merely look on the external standards, right? They don't really address the heart. You can be just as evil in your heart as you want. So long as you do these things right here, then you're godly. Again, a disconnection between the, the heart and the lifestyle. And I say that heart produces a lifestyle. What we have today, though, is that godliness is kind of a non-entity. It's just not anything that Christians worry about. We even think about it. It's not there. It's just a non-entity. We actually believe what we do want to, and, and we can do whatever we want, whatever I want, essentially. Whatever is good for you, or whatever is good for me. And, and so there's no real righteousness. There's no real godly lifestyle. We're losing that. We're losing that. Now, I can understand it because we're reacting to this ex- extreme fundamentalist external standards. And we definitely don't want that. And we don't like sermons ab- about standards because it, it reminds us of those days of, of hypocrisy and just addressing the external standards. But we're losing righteousness altogether. We have to be more discerning than that, don't we? God calls us to be discerning. And in this passage, and really in the rest of Scripture, what you see is that righteousness becomes its own entity. It becomes a thing. It becomes a lifestyle that we live. Okay? And it becomes standards that we adhere to and say, yeah, there is a godliness. There is a righteousness. Everything is not relative. And... They seem to be denying that fact that, that God has called us to be distinct and have a distinct lifestyle in the world. And we have to be careful that, to not slide into that kind of thinking. And, and let me tell you, a lot of you know, the rest of Christianity is already there. But God has called His children to live distinct and different from the world. That's righteousness. Righteousness. Now, let me show you a verse real quick. In 2 Peter chapter 3. Let me just kind of connect the dots here. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 11 says this. Since these things are to be destroyed in this way. Now, he's, he's been talking about the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, this old heaven, old earth are going to be destroyed. They're going to be done away with. He's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. He's talking about the future here. He says, since these things are going to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought we to be? It's a good question. How then are we to act? He says, what sort of people are we to be in holy conduct and godliness? 
So he's making that connection in our heart. We've been told these things and our heart knows these things. Then we need to live those things out in our life. That's godliness. What we believe, our theology has to affect our lifestyle. Or we really don't believe it. We could say we believe that. But if we live like we don't, we really don't believe those things. And he goes on looking for the coming of the day of the Lord. Just anticipation. That's just part of it, isn't it? That anticipation of a future life. So, I think you get the point. Righteousness is a lifestyle, but it has to be produced in the heart. It has to start in the heart. Now, Paul said that that his righteousnesses were filthy rags. That was before he became a Christian. All of that stuff that he had done, it was nothing. That was a false righteousness. It really wasn't righteousness at all. Why? Because it was disconnected from his heart. His heart was not really there. His heart was serving a different God. But true righteousness connects the heart and the lifestyle. You have to pull the two together. Okay, I think you get the point. It's kind of then becomes a factory reset for the heart. It's the disposition of the heart goes to godliness. It goes to righteousness. It's just, it's kind of what we do. Why? Because it's a change of heart. It's now, like I said, we have to learn it. It has to be informed by the Word of God. It has to be a renewing of the mind. We understand that. But it's a, it's a kind of a disposition of the heart. It's a godly disposition. Something goes wrong with your computer. Sometimes you can unplug it from the wall and it just kind of resets and all the problems go away and it kind of goes back to normal. Sometimes that works. Most of the time it doesn't work. Sometimes it does. So here's the process. The process, godliness then, is the condition of the heart. It's a heart that loves God and is God and others. And that determines the direction of the life. And that life is a life of faith and faithfulness. And that faithfulness in the believer is a lifestyle. And that lifestyle is righteousness. Okay? We need to keep that in mind. You have to have that package or it's really not righteousness. Now, we want to add to that. We want to kind of drill down into get more detail on what righteousness is or godliness is. And this passage that we see here, it really is consistent with the whole Old Testament and the New Testament here. That righteousness is a thing and it is to be pursued by Christians. By believers. In the Old Testament, they did this. Old Testament believers, they pursued righteousness. New Testament believers, they pursued righteousness. They pursued godliness. Christ, in the Sermon on the Mount, He said, you you need to build your house upon the rock. You're building a life, and that life has to be built upon something solid. And we, you, as believers, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're building that godly lifestyle. You're building that house. And we're to pursue it. We're to, to go hard after it, these things. In Second Peter chapter 1, in verse 3, this is the passage that was read for us earlier. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. I want to run down through these, these scripture references because I want you to see how important this is, in, in, especially in the New Testament. Seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. What does that mean? If you need it, He has granted it to you. If you need it for life, if you need it for godliness, He has given that to you. 
He's given that to you. He has granted that to you. How? Well, through the true knowledge of him who has called you by his own glory and excellence. If you need it for life and godliness, he has given that to you. And it's through the true knowledge of of Christ. True knowledge of Christ. We go to scripture. We we find those answers to our life for godliness. God can take ordinary people like us, give them the Holy Spirit, give them the Word of God, and He can transform people into godly people and cause them to become saints. But then, okay, He says, you have that, but then, look at verse 5, now, for this very reason, apply all diligence, now, that's work hard at it, in your faith, supply moral excellence. So God has supplied us this, this new heart. It's a heart of faith in God. And now he's saying you diligently apply this. You apply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. You have to have more information. Renewing the mind. More, and, and to knowledge, you apply self-control. To self-control, you apply perseverance. To your perseverance, godliness. So we're working out this godliness in our life. And to your godliness, brotherly kindness. To your brotherly kindness, love. Okay. So we are to, as believers, we are to pursue godliness. We are to work it out in our lives. Let me show you another passage. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. says this. And this is Paul talking to Timothy. He says, but... Flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Pursue it. Go after it. Pursue it. You're a godly man that God has worked in that heart. He has changed that heart. Now add to that. Pursue that. Or work out your own salvation, you might say. Work those things out in your life. In chapter 4, if you turn over one page, chapter 4, verse 7. But have nothing to do with worldly fables, fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. That means we have to, and the word is exercise, we have to exercise ourselves into godliness, into shape. It's something that's not just passive. Well, I I hope the Holy Spirit, I'm a godly man. I hope the Holy Spirit produces godliness in my life. No, I mean, obviously he has to work, but he works through our exercising, our discipline. He says, for bodily discipline is of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things. Since it holds promise for this present life. Don't miss that for this present life as well as the life to come. That is the future life, eternal life. We're to pursue it, discipline ourselves for that. Chapter 2. Chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 2 says for kings. Now, verse 1 says he, he wants you to pray. Pray for all men, he says, but more specifically, pray for kings and all who are in authority so that you may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. So here's the picture. Here's what he wants you to do. He says, now, I want you to pray to God for your king. Pray to God for your king. Why? Because he has control. He can allow peace to reign in that land. Well, what's peace do? 
Well, that allows then you to live a tranquil life, a quiet life, no persecution. You can live out your godliness with all dignity. You can show that to the world and that's going to be an attraction to the world. Why? Because he's verse three. Then he says, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. It's for evangelism. We pray to the king. The king gives peace over the land that we can live out our godliness in front of this watching world. And and this godliness becomes then an attraction to the world. It's for evangelism purposes. That's really interesting. It kind of sets the the stage then for godliness. Let me read you one more verse. Ephesians chapter 5. A verse that you would know well. He just simply says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. We take on the family resemblance. And we imitate God. That's godliness. That's righteousness. Okay, I think you get the point. Now, the question then is, what is godliness? What is godliness? Now, again, I think we have to be very careful because we have our own ideas. We have the world's ideas. We have Christian Tradition ideas of what godliness is. So we want godliness. What is godliness from a biblical perspective? Godliness from a biblical perspective. And this might be long and tedious. It might be a hard thing to do. But we we need to understand this so that we can renew our mind. We can think biblically about these things. What is a a godly person like at work? What is a, a godly person like as a neighbor? How about an employee? How does a godly person manage their affairs, manage their money, manage their time, manage their appointments? What is a godly person like as an employee working for for you or working for someone? We have to make sure that this is biblical godliness. Now, so that means we can rule out some things. We can rule out. Godliness is not. Now, it can incorporate these things, but godliness is not just having good manners, right? I, I come to your house, you sit down, you, 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 all, you have all the good table manners. That's a form of godliness. There's, there's godliness there. It's probably it, you're concerned about my well-being, and I appreciate all that. But it's not, that's, not just, that's not godliness. I mean, that's good. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. But it's not just manners. It's not just being polite. It's not just being nice. Now, I don't want a bunch of impolite people in my church. But that's not just godliness, right? We understand that. It's not just being moral. It's good to have good moral people. But the Ten Commandments, hopefully, even the unbeliever can not steal. Hopefully, the unbeliever can not take his neighbor's wife. Hopefully, the unbeliever can do that. That's ungodly. Or the ungodly can even do that. Godliness is not just having high standards. Now, do we have high standards? I think so. I think we should have high standards. But at the same time, that can fill your heart with pride. And so we have to be careful. It's not Bible knowledge. Godliness is not just Bible knowledge. That Bible knowledge must be, you must be committed to that Bible knowledge. It's not just knowing, but you exercise that Bible knowledge. The demons believe They're not saved, obviously. It's not just being strict. You can have a a disciplined person, a disciplined kind of person, maybe a disciplinarian or somebody that's just regimented themselves. 
And they can discipline themselves and they can discipline you and they can straighten your life out and they can get their life straightened out. That's not godliness, folks. We can mislabel that. But just being disciplined is, is not godliness. Now, we have to be careful. Is discipline a part of godliness? I think so. I think so. It's not emotions for God. It's not this uh, lovey feeling toward God. Boy, that's godliness. No, that's not godliness. We're, we're being sold that today. And, and we see, if you see any pictures of, uh, of a church today, it's, it's the emotional feel. And, and boy, that's really godliness. But that is just not godliness at all. And it's not excitement in worship. That's not necessarily gossip. Now, it can incorporate all of these things. All of these things can be good. It's not necessarily righteousness. It's not necessarily godliness. Now, last week we gave you a working definition. And here's this definition. Godliness is... An ever-increasing mindset. And this is what we were talking about last week. It's an ever-increasing mindset. It's like the sun coming up. You're, you're beginning, it's beginning to dawn on you. You begin to understand more and more and it becomes brighter and brighter. So it's this ever-increasing mindset in which your goals are exchanged for God's goals. God's attitudes become your attitudes. God's values become your values. God's will becomes your will. God's actions become your actions. Now, that's a working definition of godliness. That's what godliness is in a nutshell. You say, that's not very specific. You're right. It's kind of vague. So we're going to go through it today and next time as well. We're just going to slowly move through these things. There's five elements here of, of godliness that must be included in our understanding of godliness. Number one. Godliness is exchanging our goals for God's goals. Now, that's where we have to start. We have to start there. And you say, okay, well, what are God's goals? Have you ever thought about God having goals? I don't think God has goals. Boy, I, I hope I can accomplish this. Or I hope I can do this. Or I hope I can do that. It's not like our goals. When God sets out a goal, He is going to accomplish it, right? Let me give you three goals that God has. Number one. God's goal is to glorify, is his own glory. He is going to glorify himself in everything. That is number one. That's the top. His purpose in everything is to put every facet of his glory on display. Every facet of his glory on display. He wants his glory on display. That's why he created you. That's why He created me. That's why He created this world. Everything is to display His glory. Everything is for that purpose. It displays His wisdom. displays His power. His omnipresence. It displays His character. It displays His love. It displays His grace and mercy and wrath and His goodness and His justice. It all displays the glory of God. He wants it all out there. That's the purpose. That's what God is doing in everything. He is displaying His glory. Let me show you a few verses on that. Psalm 86. Psalm 86, verse 9. Just a good verse to keep in mind. Psalm 86, verse 9 says this. All nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord. Now, this is futuristic. Here's what's going to happen. All the nations of the world, they're going to come, and they're going to worship before you, and they shall glorify your name. 
At the end of everything, that's what is going to happen. God's name is going to be glorified. Everyone is going to say, yes, God gets all the credit for everything. And his glory is going to be on display. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 60, verse 21. Because this is exactly what happened to Israel. supposed to happen to Israel. And it will happen to Israel. In Isaiah chapter 60, verse 21 He says, then all your people will be righteous. They will possess the land. This is, again, futuristic. They will possess the land forever. The branch of my planting, the work of my hand. So God is the one that's working in this. He is the one that's doing this. That I may be glorified. The whole Israel thing, that was for God's glory. He will get glory of that. And again, you see that in 61 verse Three, that he may be glorified. That phrase, now this is no surprise to you. You know this. Paul sums it up very well in Romans chapter 11, verse 36. Look at this verse. He says this. For from him and through him and to him are all things, everything. From him, from him, goes out from him, through him and to him are all all things to him be glory forever amen that's a good way to put it everything is for god's glory it's for god's glory revelation a passage again a passage you probably know revelation chapter 4 verse 11 he says worthy are you o lord or our lord and our god to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and because your will they were created They exist and were created. That's why they were created. It's His will. He is creating it. And He is worthy of all the glory. We don't deserve any of this glory, folks. We are created beings. And then that's why you see in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and chapter 10 that we then are to glorify God in everything that we do. Whether you eat or drink, in all of your work, we're to glorify the Lord. So, number one, God's intent in everything is to glorify himself. Number two, number two, the purpose of God is to redeem man. It's the redemption of man. To redeem, redeem a people for himself. This is what he is doing. Let me show you a couple of the verses. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, he says... Who desires all men. And this is a passage we read earlier. Who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. That's God's desire. And now he will sacrifice that desire from time to time. He would love to have everyone be saved. But nobody's going to. So God intentionally, deliberately comes down and he saves some. And what we see in, then in 1 Peter. And I love this 1 Peter passage. Chapter 3 verse 9. For the, the Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but to all come, that all come to repentance. Now, He's the one that grants that repentance. First Peter chapter 2, He also says this, But you are a chosen race, are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. The whole of creation, from creation on, has been the story of the redemption of man. 
That's God's purpose. God is working through that. Now, again, that's subservient to the glory of God. Everything is done for His glory. We should be about our Father's business, and His business is to redeem man. And then another one, just one more. Let me give you one last purpose of, of God is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We need these things in our mind. We need to understand what God is doing here on this earth. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 3 says this, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. God is working in His people to sanctify them. He is working in His people to redeem them and to make them a holy people. Okay? Now that's the image that we should have in our mind. That's God's goal. That should become our goal, folks. Everything to the glory of God. We are, we are coming alongside and we are ministering to other people evangelistically and we're working in our life for our own sanctification. Now here's what we do. When I go to Walmart, when I go to Sam's Club, I have a goal in mind, right? And I, I, I've got one thing that I need to get. I get in there and I just get it and I get out, right? It's like a straight line. You just go from my car, you get the thing, and you come to the register, you pay for it, and you get out. Straight line. Here's what we do. What do we do? I shop with members of my family. Okay? Members of my family. We go in the front door. And we somehow, you know that little scanner thing? Somehow that erases our memory. What are we here for? What was our goal? And we kind of meander. Especially now that Walmart's kind of all messed up. They've messed everything up. I don't know where anything is. So you you meander, right? That's what we do. As Christians, I think we, we just kind of meander. We, we forget our goal. We, we don't just go in and get what we need and come out. We, we meander. We look at this. We look at that. And we, we kind of flirt with the world. Oh, well, maybe they, they have the answer. Maybe they have found happiness. Maybe I can get it from over there or over here. And we forget. God has us here for a purpose. We adapt His goals in our life. He is doing His work and we come alongside and we must do the work of our Father who is in heaven. It's what Christ's attitude was, wasn't it? It's like joining the army and not doing what the army says. Or being a a, a subject of a kingdom and not doing what the king says. Or like taking on a new job and then not doing it. You forget your goal. You have goals in life. And folks, God has called us to these things. We have to discipline ourselves to make God's goals my goals. What is it that you're trying to accomplish in Daniels, West Virginia? In Beckley, West Virginia? What are you wanting to see in West Virginia in general? Lord, help us to be about our fathers. Help us to be doing that. Glorifying Him with our life evangelizing as much as we can and in our own sanctification. Now, so let's apply this. Let's apply this. Number one, we have to submit ourselves. We have to submit our happiness to God's goals. We have to submit our schedules to God's goals. Our desires, we submit that to God's goals. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to be happy. It doesn't mean that we're not going to have a schedule or anything like that. No, we just are saying, God, I want your will to be done in my life. What did Paul say? I don't live anymore. It is Christ who lives in me. His goals have become God's goals or God's goals become his goals. 
That's the idea. I think you get that point. We will not develop godliness until we submit ourselves to God's goals. Number two, you've got to check your motives. I've got to check my motives, at least me. Maybe it's just me. We can appear to do the right things, but many times our motives are not right. So we have to check our motives. We have to make sure, Lord, I want to do this for your glory. I want to do this for your honor. Number three is the question, and is have you submitted your goals? Have you submitted your happiness to God and say, Lord, I want to accomplish what you want me to accomplish, no matter what my happiness is. You're in Walmart. If you're searching after your own happiness, you're in Walmart just meandering. Your happiness will come when you go after God's goals. How do you tell? How do you tell? Is glorifying God before anything else? Is it more important than anything else in your life? Glorifying God. Now you've got to think about that. And I'm talking about in the little things. Paul said whether you eat or drink. The most mundane things of life. Is your goal in how you eat and what you eat and that element of your life. Is that to glorify God. God sees that. He wants you to submit that to Him. That means in your marriage. If you are facing your marriage and saying my marriage is about my happiness. Then you are have the wrong understanding of marriage. And you have your own goals instead of God's goals. Work. Well, that work is for me and and it's not. No. We have to submit our work to God. Lord, help me to accomplish what you want me to in this job. Communication. How about the way we communicate? The way we, we word things. Lord, let me submit my wording, my wordage to you. Let me phrase things. Let me do things and say things in a way that would glorify you. Not just make me happy. Not just push uh, other people aside and, and dominate other people or jab other people. Lord, help me to glorify you with my language. Your time, your money, your dress. God's their godliness is exchanging our goals, my goals, for God's goals. That's emptying of self. That's submission, isn't it? That's submission. I can't, I can't live my life anymore. I have to say, like pause. Carl Dingus died. His life died. I've got to live for God. For His glory. For His honor. Well, I have others. But the time has come. We need to think about these things, folks. We need to think about these things. Godliness. Godliness is an ever-increasing mindset. In which our goals become, are exchanged for God's goals. Our goals are exchanged for God's goals. Godliness is not what you think. Godliness is not what you think. It's not just a list of do's and don'ts. It's not just do this and you're godly. No, it's a, a life, folks. Starts with a heart. Starts with a heart. When I was growing up, we sang a song. It says, uh, the, the title of the song is, Oh, to be like thee. You remember this song. You may know this song. But the last little phrase, and I'm not going to go through the whole song. I'm definitely not going to sing it. The last little phrase there says, Stamp thine own image into my what? Heart. God's image onto my heart. That's godliness. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. 
how clear it is in our life. Lord, one simple point today, uh, may our goal be your goals. May we submit our goals to you. And, And Lord, may we be about your business and not just so distracted, Lord. May we glorify you in our marriages. May we glorify you in the way we discipline our children. May we glorify you in the the way we save things. Our attitudes toward other people. Lord, I pray that you would affect every part, every area of our life. Lord, help us to glorify you. We're not here for ourselves and our own happiness. We're here for you. May we worship you this week in this way. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.